welcome to The Straw Hat with Rabbi David Wolkenfeld and Rabbinate Goldie Guy. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. We're recording this on, on Monday, the week of Purim, so there's a lot of excitement and energy and thoughts about celebrating Purim this week, but not for the first time. Purim is coming at a time of great um, anxiety and fear uh, and sadness as we're absorbing the news hourly from Ukraine, and it's heartbreaking news that literally every hour is like some new piece of heartbreaking news that, that occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and also really scary news, because as, as sad and devastating as the destruction has been, the potential exists uh, for things to get much, much worse, and even in ways that, that impact us, that could impact us directly, God forbid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so we want to take some time at the beginning of the podcast just to talk about how we've been thinking about some thoughts we've had uh, about um, the war and how we can be supportive and, and what it means, like what, what Jews ought to do at a time like this and how we should think mm-hmm. about things. Uh, one interesting little debate that is both an internal debate that we've sort of feel, felt within ourselves and also a debate actually happening among people is uh, the propriety and wisdom behind rabbinic delegations to um, sites of refugee settlement in Poland and I know in Vienna and Moldova and all sorts of places where surrounding mm-hmm. Ukraine where there are right now, I think like, I don't know, there must be like a... I don't know. A lot, lot, lot of important Lots. rabbis are in Poland right Lots. now uh, doing refugee mm-hmm. resettlement. The big delegation from Federation New York went, let's uh, Shabbat, and they're, they're in Poland right now. And, and yeah. uh, you know... I'd say the conversation is like, what's the most useful way of showing up, right? We all know we want to show up in some way. We're all feeling a pull of how do we support uh, the people who are directly in crisis, who are vulnerable and innocent, and we want to help them. So how do we show up? And there are different ways of showing up. Some people feel like the most important way to show up is actually in person on the front lines. I know certainly that's the ethos that was taught to us from Ravavi Weiss, right? Like you, the first thing you do is try to show up. Uh, and then you ask, where am I needed, right? Like, how do you, how can I help on, on the ground? Yeah. And that's um, been his ethos. That that's what he feels a rabbi has to do. That's yes. what he, and I think he feels yes. like a Jew, a Jew who has a heart, yes. you know, shows up where people are suffering and, and tries to be helpful. I, I think. And so we're seeing our colleagues do that, I think, in that, in that vein. The counter argument, which I think is also like, you know, targeted him, I think, over the decades has been, you're not always helpful. Like, you know, if there's right. any bed that you're sleeping in um, is a bed that's not available for a refugee. Any meal that you eat is a meal that's not available for a refugee. And uh, your skill set might not be uh, applicable in a disaster right. zone, you know, in a place of an ongoing um, humanitarian crisis. It's not necessarily right. true that you can be useful, although, right. you know, I think that that's a debate that's can't be resolved. I think it really depends on what your skill sets are and, exactly. and how acute the crisis might be and where you exactly. tend to show up. I, I think what's different and, and really positive about this current, I guess my closest you know, people I know who are in Poland right now, they are um, on an organized trip, organized by Federation. Um, Federation Systems in North America has raised and transferred millions of dollars in the last two weeks to mm-hmm. refugee resettlement in Ukraine. And so, like that money was raised by the membership of the congregations these rabbis serve, and I think mm. if these rabbis are able to come back to their congregations or you know record videos from refugee sites, you know, in Poland, and say like, here's what we're doing right now, here's what the organized Jewish community has done and is doing with the money right. that you gave us, right. and here's what, and this is an ongoing need that will exist for the next six, 12, 18 months. Uh, I think that will um, 
inspire a lot more generosity that's really crucial mm. for the needs of these refugees uh, right. to be met. So I, I think that's a very our different... connection isn't only abstract, like it's it's felt and real. And that's yeah, what yeah, showing. exactly. It's not, not I'm here as your representative to like be a caring face on the front lines. No, it's like like you. I'm your shliach. Like I'm your emissary. You raise mm -hmm. money. It's being spent, you know, by these organizations, and I'm here sort of to show you how we've spent your money, and and will please God raise you know millions more to make sure that the needs of these people uh, is being right. met. And, uh, right. and I think that that's um, that seems like very uh, like I. Like, it's tachlis. It's yeah. It's real. I, I trust Federation to know how to raise money, <laughs> and if they feel that deploying rabbis, you know, in in, in Poland to to be able to report back about how mm -hmm. what, what the needs are and how the needs are being met. I, I, right, and you also mentioned right that what they're providing can also be pastoral care on the ground. Correct, correct. Um, connect and showing the face of American Jewry and saying we care about you, and here's their expression of caring about you. Uh, and um, you also mentioned how it might be creating connections to the Jew American Jewish community for the future. Right, exactly. It's very likely that many of the Ukrainian Jewish refugees currently in Poland are not going to be able to return to their homes in Ukraine, and uh, some thousands of them may end up in in the United States and in our communities and in our shuls, and this could be seen as a first step in welcoming these refugees, those who want to, those who right. make it here, to our communities. They, we could, you know, a year from now, we could be celebrating Purim with Ukrainian Jews as sitting beside us in shul. And and uh, um, and, and so if, if these rabbinic delegations help them feel welcomed into the American Jewish community, that's also, I think, a very valuable um, sort of use of, of resources. So I, I call a vote to my <laughs> to our friends and colleagues who are there. Yeah. But I think the, you know, but also, I, I guess, call a vote to those who are, um, you know, you, to be suspicious of rabbinic egoism is not a bad thing. I think it's definitely a, a, a risk that comes with a job. And uh, I think those who are, uh, you know, supporting from the sidelines with yeah. their money and with their prayers and their activism, I think it's, it's also... It's showing up in a different way, yeah, right? Correct. Um, and of course, there are also colleagues of ours who are, who are active in European Jewish communities who are already there and well well positioned, you know, in a kind of hashkacha, meant to be there kind of way in order to help uh, Ukrainian the Ukrainian communities resettle in their neighboring countries or, or feel supported from neighboring countries. So I have uh, friends and colleagues who um, are the heads of Hillel Germany, um, uh, Rebecca, Rabbi Rebecca Blady and Rabbi Jeremy Boris, uh, Borowitz. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have to, I keep thinking another name, but Rabbi <laughs> Jeremy Borowitz, I just know them as Blady and Jeremy. So okay. um, <laughs> I've been following their work, and they've been doing a lot of great work on the ground, collecting supplies, organizing to use their connections to Ukraine. Jeremy lived in Ukraine uh, on a service mission for for a number of years, and he has connections there. So he's been. They've been. They they did a briefing call with a group of um, maharats, and they told us of work they've been on the phone twenty four seven, helping people at the borders, helping them to to secure uh, ways to escape. And to, to to resettle in other places, and so they've been doing real pikuach nefesh, saving lives work, um, around the clock. And they themselves have cleared out space in their own home, and they've had their community rally around them, and they've built they've built beds in order to house refugees mm. in their home. Wow. Uh, they've been doing phenomenal work, and my little contribution is uh, donating to them. And, and as I see their work on the ground, and that's how I've been staying connected through their social media. Too. They're in Berlin or Frankfurt? They're in Berlin. Berlin. Wow. They, they started with Base Berlin, and now uh, Rebecca is the director of Hillel Germany. Amazing. Um, they're I've seen like the photographs of like trains going into Berlin filled Gosh. with refugees. Like what what a, what a like a, right. the historical resonance of that. Like really like just um, it's, it's wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really powerful. And 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 a, and a, yeah. so it, it's uh, there's a in the midst of the tragedy, there's real there's human kindness and and, and in a heroic way, and that's that's really right. powerful. Yeah, and I, they found I, themselves like rebuilding Eastern European, you know, Jewry or just European Jewry, and they found themselves in the middle of this historic mm-hmm. moment, right? Mm-hmm. They came to serve and found themselves able to serve in ways they couldn't have known. Yeah, another facet of this, which I has been really. Um, which I spoke about last a week ago in Shabbos, that just the, the 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 beauty and strength and vitality and diversity of the Ukrainian Jewish community is something I'd never known about and never really appreciated, and it it's emerged huge. in the last thirty years, and, it, and it's just tremendous. There was a huge. Um, the Tradition Journal has a podcast, and they interviewed a few days ago a Karliner Chassid who was sent by the Karliner Rebbe thirty years ago to <laughs> build a Jewish community in Lviv, and he did so, and. As he described Jewish life there, just so so like it's just, vibrant, really <laughs> vibrant, and, and he said it was you know the freest, most open Jewish community in Europe in his in his experience, uh, just in terms of like the degree of just like social support to Jewish life and the the proudness and openness of Jewish life there. Um, sizable community right so i, I it's, it's like what it's just, a tragic thing that we're learning about yeah, like, as american jews yeah, in yeah, this yeah. Way. yeah no it's really right like, exactly right like so we have such like a myopic you know really uh, like a, we're so insular in like what we um you know like, like what the, our conception of where jewish life exists yeah. and and, and uh, you it's know it's not I, just america and israel yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and the, you know and, and that yeah yeah and i i Exactly. I, I, yeah, and whatever my stereotype that I had in my mind was really, it was really false. And mm-hmm. so I, and hopefully the community can, can reestablish itself and will survive and rebuild it. But, uh, um, and we'll have a chance to visit this, this really, this gem of a European Jewish community. But uh, that was, again, that, that's also been like in my mind a lot, like as I'm learning about something as it's, you know, in the process of being systematically destroyed. So you spoke this past Shabbat um, and the fourth annual Shabbat Zachor Shior on, on militarism as one facet of kind of our understanding of Amalek and the mitzvah yes. Zachir Amalek. So, I, so that was also very resonant in light of, of, of the war. Um, yeah, Rab, uh, Rabbi Zach Trubov wrote a, a great essay that was published on Lairhouse about this, about how Amalek represents this will to violence, right? This desire to be violent and exert power just for the sake of flexing those muscles and and showing people that power and maintaining militaristic power just for the sake of that, not for any like beneficial cause, if there is a beneficial cause to war, right? Not for any, not do, and, and they exert this power not due to any provocation just because they can, right? And Amalek and like classically is also understood as attacking the most vulnerable, right? Not, it's not, there isn't an opponent here that is worthy of war. Uh, uh, they attack the stragglers at the back, right? The people who are uh, the weakest and the most vulnerable at that time. So that's, um, that's what we're fighting when we talk about destroying Amalek. We're commanded to uh, uh, try and dismantle this and, and yeah. obliterate this from the world. This. So, so I've been, you know, um, so Rabbi Trubov's essay was sort of an explication of an, uh, you know, like a hundred-year-old uh, drasha mm-hmm. by Rav uh, uh, Moshe Victor Amiel in in Joshua Elami, and I, I've been reading through the original from mm-hmm. Amiel, and I. It's, I think his dresser are not in print, but you can. I was able to find a secondhand copy like a year ago, and it's mm. it's just it was an amazing, amazing. You know, he won a competition. Like he was elected <laughs> chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. The other candidates were uh, Rav Joseph Soloveitchik and Rav Herzog, <laughs> later the chief rabbi of Israel. Right. So he won a competition. He won the vote. He won like the rabbinic you know contest against those two. So uh, I mean, there's 
Right. And it's like obvious to me why, yeah. like, because his dresser yeah. is just phenomenal, phenomenal. I anyway. only, yeah, I read excerpts in Rabbi Truoff's essay. It's, it's, it's really, I, it, on, you can get them on hebrewbooks.org, and maybe you can find secondhand copies from that from time to time. I think they're, it's really, really great. Get your hands on, if you read Hebrew, like Ravamiel's dress shot are phenomenal, really beautiful. So he, he explains that you can't fight militarism with military aims, right? Because that just strengthens mm-hmm. the forces of militarism in the world if you confronted violence. So in the Torah, Amalek is like, what is it that, like, it's Moshe with his hands raised, like, that's what gives us the inspiration right. to confront. It's, right. And, when they uh, believed in God, when their faith was strengthened, I talked about that. There's a Ketav Lava Sefer, write it in a mm-hmm. Sefer, so Rav Amiel's Drusha is called Sefer Vesayef, right, which is an image in the Midrash of, like, the book and the sword. And these are, like, the two, like, either we, like, rally around the book and the values of the Torah, or we are then victims of the sword, and, and, and that's like our, our way. And so the only, like if we, if in confronting militarism, we kind of adopt its own, like mm-hmm. that ethos itself, then we're actually, we can never be victorious over it. And uh, right. that's something that's a very, uh, just I'm sort of grappling with in, you know, because I, I, I really, in a way that's unusual for me, I just find myself like, I just like, like feeling like very, um, like violent thoughts. I read the news, I want to like, you know, like, uh, no. you know, like, you know, they're like, I mean, there are thousands of like veterans or like, American yes. like, flock into Ukraine. Like, yeah, yeah I want, like, I kind of, I kind of want to join them. You know, I want to go wow. there, right? You know, and, and I, and I, you know, and like, I, I'm sort of like cheering on the yeah. Ukrainian army as, as, as I'm like, you know, reading it's the scary. news and, 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 you know, so I think, so look, they're defending their lives and they're Correct. defending their neighborhoods and their cities. That's, that's a just cause and they, they deserve, I think. Right, Rav Amiel writes about this, right? He says, like, clearly we need to defend ourselves, right? That is obviously going to be part of our response, but we can't adopt the ethos of violence. Exactly. For the so sake that's of the piece violence. that, right. Right. So, that, so how do we, so like, you know, so I. We have to remember what we're there for. Correct. Right? And, and I sim- think there's a real risk, a real risk of like allowing those kind of those passions, those like, those, those, uh, to like, to like to yeah. kind of to, to be they're very corrupting and they're very um, provi- yeah. um, seductive and and, and dangerous right. in that way. So I think uh, and sometimes yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure in the midst of war, like the lines feel blurry, mm-hmm. right? Because there there are echoes of this in in Tanakh, which I also talked about uh, in my in my shir that um, Rabbi David Silver talks about this in the context of Shaul's war with Amalek. Um, that when Shaul goes to war with Amalek and he's commanded to destroy the entire nation. He obliterates the people, but spares the beautiful animals and the mm-hmm. good good animals. And it doesn't say right later on his alibi is, "Oh, I was saving them." Uh, the 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 people and I were both motivated mm-hmm. to save these animals for for sacrifices for the sake of God, right? For the glory of God, I saved the animals. But uh, Shual Navi calls him out on this and says, "What are you What are you talking about? Right? Like that's not what you were commanded to do. And also in the original context, when, when Shaul saves the animals, it doesn't indicate that that was his intention, that he really wanted to, you know, and, and Shaul collected the animals for the sake of korbanot, for the sake of sacrifices. It doesn't say that. It seems like he only saved them for his own purposes. Or And, and the way that Rabbi Silber interprets it um, is that Shaul also gets kind of infatuated with saving, right? He is able to destroy the weak animals, but he's like, well, no, not the strong, beautiful ones, right? Those, that's what, that's what I'm drawn to. That's what will be part of my, you know, uh, growing nation and our part of our dominance. And that's not, right? That's part of um, him kind of internalizing this Amalek feeling, right? Of saying, no, save the strong ones, attack the weak. Um, and that's something that we're, we're fighting against, not to internalize that feeling of like use our power and use our power against the vulnerable. We have to remember that we're fighting that impulse. We're fighting Amalek.
So before we recorded, we had a conversation about Matanot Evyonim, the mitzvah to give gifts to the poor, uh, and we discussed whether you know that money should be diverted or or we should add you know to to uh, those at, in, in refugees in Ukraine, and is that is that a worthy you know direction? Is it, is it for... better to seek out needy people in Ukraine for your gifts on the day of Purim or Ircha um, Kodem? Right? Should you? Uh, provide for the poor amongst your own first, as the Rambam teaches us to do. Yeah. So, so I think the answer is both. Yes. And (laughs) (laughs) if you're able to, certainly, uh, people who are, um, you know, refugees and, and you've left, lost everything, left everything behind are worthy recipients of Matsunoli Avionim and other forms of Tzedakah. Uh, I, I don't think it's that we should allow that to come at the expense of the, Poor in our midst who depend on our matzot levyonim year in year out and mm-hmm. have been received. So we're not deduct the shul is not giving less to the sources that we have supported in the past. Uh, but I think uh, everyone should also find ways right. to if to you give. have the means to do so, right? To find ways to give in in Ukraine or to support mm-hmm. Ukrainian refugees. And I think this would be a good year to find the means, right? To like kind of dig deeper and, and even even at the expense of something that you would purchase for yourself. That you know that. Uh, this right. is this is a time of crisis, and it's I it's think the it's amount a, for a meal, right? That would be the mitzvah, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, right, right. And those small amounts can make a difference to, to people. You know, we the the shul's normal allocation. We sort of we give um, we give most of the money to Jews, and we give most of the money to uh, local causes. But we also give to Israel and America, and Jews and not Jews. And the, so mm-hmm. we so we support Lakeview Pantry, and we support mm-hmm. the Ark. Those are two local. Causes that directly support poor people, uh, and we also support Leket Israel, which is um, a very important and effective food bank in Israel. And we also enabled Yeshiva uh, Eretz to to provide a Purim Suda to Chaylim at a Jerusalem army base, which uh, um, you know the soldiers would have. You know, they're not hungry. They're, the army would provide them with meals. But I think it's a way for them to have a festive Purim, which I think is also very much in the spirit of, uh, right. of, the, of the mitzvah of Purim, of Mishlach Manot, and that's not the that we're, we're enabling these uh, these chayalim to have a festive uh, festive Purim meal uh, while, while they're serving uh, and protecting Am Yisrael in this way. Uh, but there are many, many ways, you know, the shul shared a list of of resources. I don't, not, not that anyone needs the shul to provide. I'm sure everyone gets emails and lots of solicitations on their own, but we shared a list of agencies that are doing really important work uh, uh, in Ukraine. I, I gave a donation to Federation and their special Ukraine fund. They have a massive, massive operation yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Ukraine before the war, currently in Poland, settling refugees, sustaining Jewish life, and uh, and they were able to, you know, because they're existing and large, they're able to kind of just transfer money and send it along without without overhead. I also gave a small donation to uh, the Chabad Shluchim in Zichemir in Ukraine, who are my cousins through marriage. Mm-hmm. So I, I saw wow. the name. My, my, my grandmother uh, married a Lubavitcher uh, Chassid late in life. And uh, so I knew her as as Mrs. Wilhelm. And so every time I hear about a, you know, one of the Lubavitcher Wilhelms, I, <laughs> I feel a special, uh, a special connection because uh, that's the family my grandmother married into. So, cool. uh, yeah. And... Uh, so, so he's he's so it's a very illustrious Chabad family. They have shluchim all over the world, including 
uh, in Shitsumir. So I, are they okay? Like, uh, they, yeah, I mean, it's it's they're working and getting people out and and wow. as they can. I mean, it's uh, and they're staying to do that. I, you know, I, I as of a week ago, I gave them money. They were there. I don't know wow. where they. I don't know where they are right now. I'm not wow. sure if they're still there. If they're trying to get, I think I think people are staying as long as they can, and then they're leaving when they have to. I think right. that's sort of. But it's not so easy to get out anymore. It's uh, for many of these uh, for many of these cities. So wow. definitely not easy. Received that interesting poem, Shaila, uh, that I sort of, I think I know the answer, but I, you can sort of discuss, uh, sort of... Weigh in, like, comment below. <laughs> well, don't cut, it'll be too late by the time you listen to this. But oh, I don't. I got an email from somebody who's traveling from Europe to Yerushalayim on Purim Day, uh, or on Purim Night, actually, on the 14th of Adar, um, and uh, moving to Yerushalayim to an apartment he's subletting for, for, for a period of time. Uh, so on the 14th, like when a nightfall on the 14th, he'll be, I guess, in the airplane, and he'll land in Ben-Gurion at night on Purim, when you would think, okay, he has the mitzvah to hear the Megillah, because it's Purim night. Mm-hmm. And here he is, you know, off the airplane, mm-hmm. should find a Megillah reading, you know, late at night. But actually, he's traveling to Yushalayim, mm-hmm. and Yushalayim is his Purim on the 15th, on Shushan Purim. So um, maybe, since since he'll get to Yushalayim, where he'll actually spend the night, maybe he just observes Purim the next day, and he would, mm-hmm. you know, sort of not have to... Uh, you know, get, get an extra day to sleep it off, you know, rest of his trip, and then celebrate Saipurim. Mm. So I, I think we were both sort of in it's agreement like, that seemed to be the more reasonable course of action. It, it's sort of complicated think, because he doesn't yet have a home in Yerushalayim, and he's always going to be... But he'll be, he will have a home that he's renting in Yerushalayim starting... Well, he won't be there until he gets there. I mean, it's not his until he gets there, right? I mean, he... Uh, He's like arranging. Until he gets the keys, kind of thing. I don't know. Like he's arranging. It's like it's kind of. Yeah. Also, he didn't. He didn't like sign. I don't think he's signing a lease. It's a. It's a very. I think it's an informal sublet from a guy he knows. So sure. So he's gonna. He'll show up at the apartment at like midnight. You know, on the fourteenth of Adar, and then he'll like <laughs> move in with his suitcase and spend the next couple of weeks there. So, um, there's no. It's not like it's not like his apartment right now right. in any. Like it sort of is, right? Because he agreed to sublet it, but it's not actually his now. He, right. He's not a Yushalayim resident when Purim starts, and he'll be like you know off the airplane walking around Ben Gurion Airport. As a Jew on Purim night, maybe as a chiv to, but he's uh, not planning to sleep there. Yeah, so so maybe we could say he has a or eat to, there. He has a chiv to hear the Megillah, but he gets into the uh, I don't know what do you call it the uh, like the airspace. <laughs> no, 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 no. He gets into the nesher. You know, once he once oh, he, once uh, he gets into the t- airport taxi, and then he once he's like uh, once he gets into so he has, has a chiv to hear the Megillah. He has a chiv to hear the Megillah, but once he crosses the boundary in Shushalayim, his chiv goes away and he goes to sleep. So he has a chiv. He doesn't fulfill it. But it goes away, and he has a nuchi of the next day once he reaches Yerushalayim. So yeah, what's the problem? Yeah, it sounds like, reasonable. Yeah, I think I, so. That that's I, don't know, I made you a little more due diligence on this so under the conversation. But it seems to me that he wouldn't like it would be obvious if he already had the residence in Yerushalayim. If he spent the day outside Yerushalayim, he doesn't hear Megillah. He can go back to home and hears Megillah on Shushan Purim. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems that would be obvious. And if you're spending the night in outside of Yerushalayim, then I think also be you know, hasn't yet moved to his new apartment, it would be also, I think, be obvious mm-hmm. that he would... Uh, I think so, too. You know, like, hear the Megillah on, on the 14th, like everyone else, rather than on the 15th. Uh, so here, it's, like, a little complicated, because he's, like, a Jew in the world, outside Yerushalayim on the 14th, but not actually going to bed until he's in a home that is his in Yerushalayim. So it's a little more complicated, but ultimately, I think... Uh, it's like, ben yerushalach lekrach or ben krach shalach leir, right? I think, like, that's <laughs> the parallel. I, there must be just, like, an explicit... That, so I, 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 I think I think the halacha. I, I, you know, we were talking about this before I've looked it up, but I think yeah. the halacha is that it's based on where you're sleeping. And I think here it's a little bit more complicated because he's he's not ex- obviously a Ben Krach or a Ben. Right? It's not 
Like what is it? like on that on the fourteenth? He's a resident of non Yerushalayim, right? <laughs> That's where he woke up in the morning, not in Yerushalayim. He he hasn't yeah. yet moved to his new house yet, so he's moving on. Like that, that's, that's why it's like a, right? The day that he's moving, becoming a resident of Yerushalayim is the 14th of Adar. That, that's the piece which I don't think is in the Shulchan Aruch, yeah. right? Um, hmm. So I think that's why it's a little more complicated. But that's a good uh, question. Yeah. So I think probably, look, I think for future, anyone listening to this, don't, don't, don't schedule your moving date for poor. I think that's, that's probably, <laughs> you uh, can. probably makes it more complicated. Yeah. Probably because, yeah, but I think he should, I think this guy is going to be okay. Yeah. Um, wanted to take a moment just for everyone listening to try to raise awareness of the fact that the Shul's Hospitality Committee is has shared and is sharing a Google Doc for people to add their names and contact information if you are willing to be asked to host a guest in the coming weeks. Uh, we, We've been getting more inquiries. We're getting a lot of inquiries. There are, especially at this time of year, it's people who have been admitted yeah. to graduate school. school of one kind or another, and they are trying to decide if they're going to move to Lakeview, if they want to go to grad school here, they want to visit for Shabbos while they're seeing their potential new schools. And uh, after two years of really like not having any formal hosting through the shul, we're, really, you know, like we're trying to revive a committee that would, you know, you're not, obviously you sign up, to, you add your name, you're not committed to hosting any particular week, but, you know, in theory, you would have somebody stay the night at your home for Shabbat or and or you would host somebody a guest at your meal. And if we mm-hmm. have like a nice cadre of hosts, we can then once again like be able to provide that. I mean, ultimately, like I think, uh, you know, you should, a birthright as a Jew is to be able to go to any Jewish community in the world and <laughs> find Shabbos invitations. That seems to me like a important, uh, and it'd be nice if we could provide that again as a community. So please, if you're listening to this and you haven't already done so, please, uh, please uh, sign up if you're able to. Again, no commitment for any particular week, but... If you sign up, you'll be asked, okay? <laughs> that, that, that you'll be asked, and hopefully there'll be some occasions in the coming months where you'll be able to host someone. 